Welcome to the 216 Podcast. Wing and a high drive. Deep left field. Look at that baby go. Holy cow. It's over. Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. 45, 50. There goes Chubb. He's to the 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown. And we are back at the 216 Podcast, guys. And I don't know if you heard that, Jamie, but that intro, that's something else. <laughs> it got me fired up. My, my, my blood is boiling. I could run through a brick wall right now. Yeah, dude. So I, I spent a little time yesterday throwing a little mashup together, and now I'm just super excited over this intro. Yeah, that sounds like three cups of coffee and uh, some garage band editing right there. Yeah. <laughs> do, you hear what, do you hear what's underneath that, though? The little Dave Matthews? Oh, I hear. Underneath that? Well, yeah, me and you are very big Dave Matthews fans, and that's kind of why we ended up going with this song. Very intentional. Yeah, it's a little different than The uh, the Temptations, but it's more true to us. You know, we're, we're huge Dave guys. Um, if you've never been to a Dave Matthews concert, it's freaking bananas. A, l- a little too much drinking going on, he which plays, is always fun. He plays for three and a half hours long. They don't have an opener, which is the most badass move of all time, Right. They don't play the same set list any single concert in their entire tour, so you never know what song's coming up, so you're kind of like on edge the whole time that your favorite song might get played. They're touring with the 2017 Golden State Warriors of Music. They have ridiculous talent all over the band. And you want to know how many concerts I was going to this year? You want to ask me? How, yes, please, please tell me, Jamie Stanzak, how many concerts, Dave Matthews concerts, were you going to this year? About a baker's dozen, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. I was going to seven, which is still absurdly ridiculous. That's like $300 of right there. I was going to say, that is, that's a little expensive for your taste. Before I keep talking, speaking of Baker's Dozen, I thought about this last year as soon as we acquired Odell Beckham Jr. I think I texted you this and you said it was stupid, right? The second we acquired him, I thought, if I ever have a podcast talking about Cleveland sports, the phrase I'm going to dub is Baker's Dozen. Any single touchdown pass to OBJ is a Baker's dozen. It is literally Baker to number 13. That's perfect. The fact that no one has thought about that is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know how no one has come up with shirts or anything like that. Because they've I mean, come out with the Baker, the Baker hats and then the Freddie thing, but everyone skipped over the Odell number. I mean, it writes itself. We could, we could make merch ourselves and sell it to you, me, and your dad and just wear it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, guys, everyone who's ever listening to this shirt's coming soon. Coming soon. We'll we'll, we'll definitely lose money on the manufacturing of that. <laughs> so Dave Matthews bands are crazy. If if they have concerts this year, go to one. What's off the cuff? What's your favorite Dave Matthews band memory? Mine would probably be tied between two of one taking my buddy to his first Blossom concert ever to go see Dave Matthews and then him not remembering a second of it. So in his head he still hasn't been to Blossom. <laughs> or two leaving the pit last year in Indiana and you stole a chair from the seating section right next to the stage. And it was not branded Dave Matthews. It was literally a white folding chair with dirt on it. And you stole it and you're walking out thinking, oh my God, I got the Dave chair. You get out of the venue before a security guard rips it from your hands, which is only funny because thinking about or knowing you and your dad, that thing would have either been folded and put above your mantle or the centerpiece of your living room. It would have been the Dave chair. Well, yeah, and the thing was, when I got stolen, like, when, they got, when it got taken back from me, I didn't break stride. So, like, I was walking, and the woman goes, hey, that's our chair. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And I just kept walking. Like, yeah. like, I did not break stride whatsoever. But probably my favorite memory is definitely all along the Watchtower when they played that live in Cuyahoga Falls. Yeah, I mean, that's just absolutely crazy. Yes. All the Blossom concerts are, are nuts yes. every year. 
All right, we'll get to everything else. I, you know what, Jamie? We're skipping around because Rashard Higgins is back on the Browns, no longer free agent. My dream has come true. Your dream has come true. Cleveland's dream has come true. I mean, that's a perfect way to say it. We are Rashard Higgins' podcast after all. So this is now Wood Talk with Jamie and Jacob. Yes. It's Wood. It's not Hollywood anymore. Just call me it's, Wood. It's, it's Wood stylized in all caps. So one year, uh, $910,000 prove-it deal essentially – the claim is that he turned down bigger deals to stay in Cleveland. Which is absurd. I mean, wh- how much truth do you think is behind that? I mean, I think it was kind of blown out of proportion because I don't think the Chargers came to him or the Falcons and they said, hey, we'll sign you for a one-year $2.3 million deal. And he's like, nah, I love Baker. Right. And, and like, so one of the other reports was that he was living at Baker's uh, – well, Baker. Yeah, Baker's love and it. Emily's apartment. Love it. Doing um, Peloton the whole time with them. Right. And he called himself like their son and he was just like sleeping there like for days. And just like, I mean, maybe if that's true, then yes, he is turning down $2 million deals, but I don't see that. I, again, like you said, maybe he turned down a $1 million deal. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, really, I guess my only knock now is he might not understand genetics because he couldn't, I don't think physically be Baker Mayfield's child. <laughs> I hope um, not. <laughs> they're, they're generally the same age, but I'm very excited. The Browns should theoretically have a wide receiver three. And that's what I missed from, from the field so much this past season is OBJ, Jarvis, and then you got Richard at the three, third receiver position. I'm, I'm so happy. Yeah, and I just want to see that red carpet walk one more time. I want to be in the stadium, and I want to see him catch, catch a game-winning <laughs> touchdown again and then just walk the red carpet with Odell taking pictures of him and Baker running in, sliding in like he's yeah, <laughs> like he's the media. I mean, that was incredible. I was at the Bills game, and that touchdown was awesome. And as potentially inconsequential that was to the rest of the season, I mean, that was, that was such a, a crazy moment and had to be so impactful for him to get a new deal. Like, I touched the field probably four times that game, and I end up coming up in a goal line situation, cooking the hell out of my defender, and then cu- catching a game-winning touchdown pass. And then just have an ice cold Stefan Diggs, Minnesota miracle esque, badass swagger celebration afterwards. Yeah. That's that's a lot. I, I gotta condense that. I gotta condense the way I say that. You you seem like you're talking about like a dream you had, like you've done this before, not like restarts it. Like it seems like you've done this at one point in the dream. Oh my god! In my dream, we're playing <laughs> Hoban, and I'm right back in, in my tight end position in high school. <laughs> I, I'm honestly just sleep talking right now. <laughs> it happens, dude. But yes, Rashard's back the happiest I've been in a while. I, I reacted the same way when I heard LeBron was coming back. So I'm at that level with Richard Higgins, even though he is a one-year player possibly. And if he doesn't even play, then he won't be back. And it's so sad to think about that, but. It, it does, it does say something that he was, I mean, that he took that deal. And I do think that there was truth to it, that he turned down other bigger deals to stay in Cleveland because one, being in that receiver's room behind Jarvis and OBJ is incredible for a young receiver to be a part of. Having chemistry with the quarterback and, and being liked by the quarterback generally is huge. I mean, in 2018, when Baker would start to panic, unless he was scrambling to the right and had Jarvis coming back towards the ball, his go-to was, was Higgins every single time. Dude, and Higgins just like, he's an all-out guy. So, like, you give him the ball, he is going 110%. Like, I, I think it was against the Bengals. He – just laid out just to get that extra yard and <laughs> end up scoring a touchdown on it. Of course, walk the red carpet, which is awesome. But it was just like, I just love his mentality, like towards the game. I like all of our wide receivers mentalities towards the game. Honestly. Same. Same. Oh. Yeah. So very fired up about this signing. 
Yes, we're, we we finally we finally got the, the wide receivers we want. He just has to yeah. go in that third position now. I'm all <laughs> in on Higgins. So the last thing before we get to our uh, interview coming up that I want to talk about, this is not a just a Cleveland Browns football podcast. This is a Cleveland sports podcast. There's nothing going on with basketball or baseball. We, I don't want to talk about the Cavs coming back for a sad 10-game season before the playoffs potentially start. And right now, we'll start talking about baseball once we, we hear things moving. Not really just that much to talk about right now. Right. We're both wearing Cleveland Indians hats. So we are Cleveland Indians fans. We are Cleveland Cavs fans. Right. Cleveland Cavaliers fans. But, yes, we will be talking more than just the Browns. Browns are just relevant right now because we actually – it hasn't been canceled or postponed yet. So <laughs> it's still kind of a thing. It's a thing. All right. Now we will play for you a interview we had with former Cleveland Browns, former Jets, and former Duke Blue Devil kicker, Ross Martin. All right, well, we welcome the first guest of the 216 pod, who happens to be a former Cleveland Browns kicker, former Jets kicker, and former Duke Blue Devils kicker. He broke some field goal percentage records in the ACC, and with 430 points scored, he became the 19th overall leading scorer in the NCAA and went on for a free agency career in the NFL. So, Ross Martin, welcome. <laughs> Appreciate it. It's a good recap. I forget some of that stuff. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the points thing is always weird because you intuitively think it's going to be somebody like like a quarterback or something like that, but then it's always just the kickers because they do score like a majority of the points. Yeah, no, I know. It's it's pretty much if you look at the record books and scoring, it's almost always kickers. Just right. They're out there for every score. They're at least getting, you know, one-sixth of what anyone else is getting. So, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually – one website had like your stats on it and then I just Wikipedia it really quick and I saw like everyone won through like 40 and most of them like were majority were just kickers with like 500 430 points stuff like that it's funny yeah. this is yeah, sure. totally off the cuff question what's it like to have a Wikipedia page I think that's like my all-time goal in my life and do you wake up every morning and just think like I wonder if anybody hacked into it or like I gotta edit my Wikipedia Honestly, it's such a black box to me. Like, I don't even know who writes that stuff because I even tried at one point to correct something and I wasn't allowed to correct my own page. <laughs> I don't know how to even contact them. So, yeah, who's out there who's like taking it upon themselves to write something about me. <laughs> yeah, That's I'd probably awesome. wake up every morning just to make sure my Wikipedia page is like still there. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with you living in New York City now and stuff and your little... Uh, tension with the Browns are you still a Browns fan um yeah I'll say not really <laughs> uh, it is tough to be a fan of a former employer who fired you so um I mean let's put it let's be honest there in my time growing up in Cleveland there wasn't a whole lot to be you know that excited about every year outside of the draft um was obviously very excited to sign there and go back home but once they uh, fired me in a situation where I thought I was, you know, going to prevail out on top, it's uh, hard to be a diehard fan. Right. Was that a uh, was that a Hugh Jackson called you into the office kind of thing, or were they, or did they not give you the time of the day? No. So um, I'll give you the the, the play by play was going into the final preseason game, like the the fourth game. Uh, we were on maybe a let's say the game is on like Saturday preseason games are you know weird days of the week 
um, let's just say the game's on Saturday, Friday or Saturday. And on like Thursday of that week, they, we got done with practice, went in, ice tub, shower, everything. And then like when I was like coming out of the shower, I had like a text message of like, you know, hey, so, you know, the, what's his name? Um, shoot, Wolf. What was the guy? Wolf. Elliot. Right, yeah, Elliot Wolf. Yeah, it's like Elliot Wolf wants to talk to you. It's like, shit, I know what that means. <laughs> so, and then obviously this is the year where Hard Knocks is around. So then you see the camera start bopping around your locker and it's like, oh man, it's, it's like, it kind of feels like you're on stage and a guy with the hook comes around, just yanks you on the neck. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I mean, you got the text right after you got out of the shower. You could have just walked up there naked and been like, you're not going to fire me now. It's the George Costanza process. I mean, if they can't find you, they can't fire you. <laughs> right. No, I know. Um, so pretty much, you know, you go upstairs, you talk to some player to player personnel guy who says, yeah, we're not going forward with you. It doesn't really give you much reason. Um, outside of that, I talk to the special teams coordinator, says, you know, thanks for your service. We'll be in touch if we need another kicker kind of thing. And that's pretty much it. And like this being my, my third go of it, I was like, you know, I don't really need to talk to Hugh Jackson at this point, but like, I do want to talk to the GM at least. Like he's the guy making the decision here. Like, let me talk to him. So I waited outside his office for probably like a half hour and just like, I'm not leaving until you say something to me. Like, <laughs> uh, give me some kind of answer. Um, but then what really sucked is then you go downstairs and the hard knock lockers are like just like watching you like right behind you clean out your locker. And it's just like, oh my God. Oh my God. Let me leave the building. Like, please. <laughs> right. So players really do hate hard knocks people then, huh? Oh yeah. Everyone. I don't care who your coaches, players, everybody hates hard knocks outside of like, you know, maybe the one or two really big personalities who are going to like really show out and like, you know, they're going to pump up their brand, but no, across the board, no one wants to do hard knocks. I was going to say, it seemed like John Gruden kind of liked it. He, he was able to show America that he loves to throw in a good F-bomb here and there. <laughs> right. I mean, he's, he's a TV guy. Like he's, yeah. you know, a former commentator and everything. Like he's not shying away from it. That's true. All right. So that's the lows. Let's, we got that out of the way. Like you've, you've made a very successful career for yourself within football, with outside of football, too. Let's talk about the good stuff. So in, in college or in the pros, what's the craziest stadium, craziest environment you've ever played in? You, you've been at Doe Campbell against Florida State. Uh, you played against the U in Miami, uh, Georgia Dome in 2013, Chick-fil-A Bowl against Johnny Menzel and the Texas A&M Aggies. I can only imagine that was a crazy game. Yankee Stadium, Pinstripe Bowl against Indiana. What's the craziest environment or stadium you've ever been in? Yeah. That's a good question. So I'd say, because you're right, it, what you just listed off there, it goes everything from college stadium, NFL, even like MLB. It's like <laughs> you, you can play anywhere these days. Um, but I'd say for my craziest, I'd say my favorite college stadium I played at was at Virginia Tech. Like they're, the Enter the Sandman intro is like the coolest thing in college football, in my opinion. That's awesome. It is just an absolute wall of people right behind you, behind, like, the visiting side. And, like, it's just – we played there maybe in two night games, and then my senior year it was – that game is, like, the longest game in ACC history. It was, like, I think five overtimes. Like, that stadium is just, like, insane. Um, so were you, not, were you not, like, scared? You're, like, you were, like, oh, this is cool. You weren't, like, intimidated by the crowd? No, I mean, like, you know, the, Duke doesn't have, like, the 100,000 – stadium so whenever I had an opportunity to play at a stadium like that it was really really cool 
Um, so in terms of like great atmosphere, I'd say Virginia Tech on a college front in a crazy, I think is what you're, the word you use for your question. Stadium, honestly, might have been Troy. Um, I didn't know much about Troy at all before we were on a plane going to Birmingham, Alabama. And the game that we played at Troy was my, I think it was junior year, maybe senior. I don't even remember exactly. But it was like the second game of the year, early August, or late August, I guess. And it was the very first game, college game in Alabama, in the state of Alabama, that they were selling alcohol at. So oh my God. <laughs> it was absolutely rocking. Like, and the, where they set up our kicking net, I don't know why the equipment managers did this, but they set up our kicking net right in front of the student section. And they were just so hammered the entire game. <laughs> I personally got like two kids kicked out. I was like, cause they were like, you know, they were like spilling beer, like trying to like hit me with it. I was like, hey, like, you know, like the police officer is there. I was like, hey, that guy and that guy, like get him out of here. <laughs> and the whole student section's like yelling my name. And like, that was an insane game. You know, they say you may have made it worse sometimes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But you had the power to do it. So it's, so it's fun. Yeah, the, the band came over too. And like, they, cause like they start lining up before halftime to do their thing. And like the student section, like they saw what was going on between like the specialists and the student section. And so the band started like creeping over closer to the kicking net and we're like just standing like that. I was like asking the tuba players like get out of the way and they were like no man like I'm 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 here now. <laughs> That's awesome. Who would have thought Troy? <laughs> I know. Exactly. It was I, I think they were just all that pent up like why can't I buy a beer at a college football game and this was their chance. They yeah, that'd be enough to put me over the edge. I feel right. <laughs> Um, so on like the, uh, NFL side of things, like what's the process for signing with an NFL team? Cause I know you were back and forth with the jets and then the Browns. So like, are you just sitting at home and then one day you get a call and then the next day you're in the, you're in the building or is it kind of like they got you during the off season and then you report or like, how was that for you? I guess. Sure. Um, cause yeah, I mean, it, it totally depends on who you are and when you're signing, you know, if you're in the middle of the season and you get signed week five, like you're there that same day. Like, you know, you have a game in six days, presumably. Um, for me, in my experience, like, first time signing was the night of the draft, of, like, the, the third day of the draft. Like, I, you know, essentially signed with the Jets that night. Uh, but that's totally different. That's just, like, draft-specific. The second time, like, after I was getting caught by the Jets the first time, kind of in my exit interview with the GM, he was like, you know, at the time I was competing against Nick Volk, who's – 10, 11 year veteran. Um, and he was kind of, you know, aging on a little bit. And so my ex interview, the GM was like, stick with it. Like we want to bring you back next year. So I kind of knew, okay, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but hopefully like season ends, like I'll hear back from them. So maybe going into like week 15, they brought me back for a workout, kind of wanted to reassess and was like, okay, like, yeah, you're still good and everything. Um, and then, like, the day after their last game, they, like, called me up and was like, yeah, like, all right, like, we want to sign you to Futures deal. Um, so that was a little bit expected, I guess, in, in the Vegas sense. But then for the Browns, the Browns was out of left field. Like, going into that year, it was like, again, end of the season, Browns, I was actually home for Christmas and got wind that the Browns were going to have a kicker workout. Called my agent and was like, yo, like, I'm in Cleveland visiting my parents. Like, get me in the door. I'll drive there. I'll, I'll show up, like, at 6 a.m. and just be like, I'm here, too, kind of thing. 
the Browns, they, so he called in the Browns, you know, got me to work out. I worked out for the Browns there. Um, again, this is like December and then radio, like after that happened, there was like five of us, then just radio silence until June really. And then June, like it was, <laughs> it's a funny story. I was, um, my brother was getting married at the time and I was throwing him his bachelor party in like, <laughs> June out in Montauk. Oh, and boy. <laughs> you go up there on Friday, literally get there Friday afternoon, festivities start kicking off. And my agent calls me that night. He's like, hey, the Browns want to bring you back for a tryout on Monday. I was like, oh, <laughs> 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 hey, let's, let's rock and roll. <laughs> I got I two cups left in beer pong. I can't answer the phone right now, but I'll get right, right no, back to you. So left, uh, left there and, you know, went, flew, flew to Cleveland on Monday. Like did the, it was like, it was their veteran mini camp. So the tryout was essentially like through Thursday. It was like a four day long thing or something. Um, and then signed me at the end of that. So awesome. very, that, I mean, that, that like leads into the next question pretty perfectly. Like what does kicker competition look like? Cause we always hear it. Almost all of our teams every year say that we're going to have some kicker competition. Obviously when you get by, against somebody like Nick Falk, a, a tenured NFL veteran or whatever, I don't really know how much of a shot you have, but like when you go into something where you're competing against some other new guys, how does it really work? And is it mostly just like the guy who's been around the longest or like the biggest name ultimately, unless he has just like a catastrophic meltdown is going to get the job? Yeah. I mean, I'd say more to that, to the latter. Um, if you bet, if you're competing against a veteran, it's, as much as people say it's not, it's more their job to lose. Um, mm -hmm. Have to screw up really uh, to have any sort of you know replacement. Because at the end of the day, NFL teams, kind of the way that GMs and decision makers look at it is they have a certain amount of risk that they'll take on their team, and that risk, you know, let's just say it's a certain it's a pie, and they're going to give twenty five percent risk to you know a brand new first round wide receiver that's going to start day one. They're going to give 20% risk to a quarterback of like, all right, this guy's, you know, he's, he's good. He's whatever. They're not really willing to risk the kicker position at all. They'd rather know exactly what they're getting. Even if it's like, you know, this guy's a tried and true 80% guy and we know what we're getting. They'd rather have that than like an unproven quote unquote, um, an unproven guy who we don't really know what he's going to deliver at the end of it. He might be a 95% kicker. He might be a 70% kicker. Like, that risk, they're not usually willing to take. And so they'll opt for the, the tried and true guy that they just know what is going to happen, more or less. Yeah. So theoretically, I, I, you, can, you can beat them out in camp, but they're still going to go with that veteran guy. Yeah. I mean, so like being a kicker, like you always track how you do. Um, it's very metric driven. It's, it's good as no good. It's binary. So, you know, throughout camp, and I learned this from Nick Folk my first year, um, definitely learned a lot from you know, all the teams I was on, but he, he was obsessed about tracking, you know, every kick he takes in practice, writes it down. And especially you have pretty much when a training camp, you have just your average kicks that you're just warming up on or doing on I mean, as a specialist and you have your team kicks. The team kicks are obviously much more important. It's in front of the whole team and head coaches, everyone stops practice and watches the, you know, the special teams section. So those are the ones that really in, a, in essence matter. Um, so I would really track those, make sure, you know, I know where I stand at any point in time, I, you know, from this distance, from this cash, all of that, um, and being, you know, trying to win a very coveted job track, obviously how the competition's doing. Um, and so my second year at the Jets, 
I ended camp having been, and this is not, I don't know, I have the numbers in front of me, but I was somewhere in the ballpark of like 94% for the duration of camp. And the guy I was competing against was like 72%. Damn. So to me, that was, you know, statistically significant, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. Uh, but, and that's something that, you know, I did bring up in my accident interviews, like, here are the numbers, guys. Like, can you help explain what your rationale was and how you, you know, decided this? And it was pretty much a veteran or rookie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, numbers don't lie. I, I will say, like, I remember going through that process, and we were all rooting for you, obviously, like, played on the same high school football team, hometown guy. That would be awesome. I'll never pay attention to a kicking competition so closely in training camp as I did that year because I remember seeing all the reporters writing like special team section, uh, Ross Martin, pretty much 100% every single time. And if I recall, it's Zane Gonzalez who ended up getting the job and he was kind of all over the board. Ultimately, Zane Gonzalez gets a starting job, gets replaced in two games after he misses two extra points, two field goals against the Saints, completely changing the trajectory of that season potentially as we came down to the wire in 2018 for the playoffs, uh, getting replaced by Greg Joseph. I would just have to say that amongst all of the Browns' decisions, that was another bad one. <laughs> so I guess yeah. the, the one B to that question is, is what does kicker competition look like? What does holder competition look like? Because as, as much as I know from, from uh, kickers, and this is like half a joking question, half kind of a serious question. Uh, sure. I'm friends with Mike Knoll still, if you remember him from Walsh. And he said when he went to Boston College, like my biggest thing that I need is my holder because – my holder at Walsh, we had such good chemistry, and I always knew where I was going to get the ball every time. Now I have new holders. It's like throwing everything off. How, how do you like view your holder, and what is holder competition? Is it just the backup quarterback or punter who know how to do it? Yeah, so in my experience, it's always 100% better if you can have your punter be the holder versus a quarterback because, I mean, a quarterback has a million things to do. They don't want to spend time learning how to hold or really perfect that. Whereas your punter is standing around with you all day on the side, just kind of like, you know, there, there's nothing, there's no reason they can't also do it. Punters also have to catch the snap and, you know, mold it correctly. So they, they have good hands at the end of the day. Um, so in terms of holding competitions, uh, I mean, I got to say, I didn't really see too much of it. Like pretty much in the, in my time at the Jets, there was more or less one punter there. So he held for everything essentially. Um, and then at the Browns, there was a couple guys that they pretty much just rotated back and forth with the different ki different kickers. And it was it's kind of like part of the job for the punter, or it's part of the, I should say, the evaluation, where at the end of the day, they were going to pick the guy that's better at punting. But that's kind of the feather in the cap of like, you know, if this guy sucks at holding, like that's going to be a big strike against them. Yeah, I always wondered that. Like all things equal, does the ability to hold kind of put you over the edge? It sounds like it does. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. And, you know, there's, there's been some guys that, you know, some, like, I should say punters that they're, that that's a concern when they're being evaluated to get the punting job. It's like, well, yeah, but their thing is, you know, shaky. So. Right. Do it. That totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, my, I mean, my time at Duke, I had the same holder all four years, who was phenomenal. So, I mean, at least at Duke, there wasn't really a competition. It was, this guy's awesome. Respect all the holders out there. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> that kind of, that actually does lead into our next question. We're leading into our next questions very well today. I don't know why, but this does lead into the next question. I guess like you, you said that all the special teams guys are kind of standing on the sidelines and stuff. 
does that kind of translate to outside of the locker room or is the stereotype true where the special teams guys just hang out or are you going and hanging out with some backup quarterbacks or some wide receivers? Does that happen or have you seen that happen? <laughs> so, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll approach this from college first. College yeah. really integrated. Like, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's not really separate in that sense of like, are you part of the team? But that was also part of the kind of my mentality going into it as being a freshman and like getting the starting job right away of like, here's this, you know, brand new freshman kicker who's starting like this guy, like, you know, a head case or whatever. And so I was always coached from my kind of mentor of like, when you're doing all the workouts and like the weight room, all the sprints and conditioning, like you better be competing your ass off and like beat some guys at whatever it is. Cause like, there's no better way to get other players respect than if you're beating other position players at something, you know, like, so I would always try to earn on a football sense, earn the respect in that way of like, I'm not just, you know, some scrawny kicker out here who can only kick a football. Like I'm, you know, beating so-and-so in a 20 yard, you know, shuttle or something. And it's like, all right, well, how are you, how are you losing to me? Right. And (laughs) I, I think it's hard for like kickers to be like, I guess, vocal leaders. So you have to have that kind of leadership where you are competing and competing your ass off as much as you can. Right. Definitely. But then also I'd say like for kickoffs, like kickoffs, like the kickers, you know, they're the quarterback of that unit. Like they're the ones, you know, deciding what coverage you want to go with, whether an onside kick, kind of directing the team in that regard. So there, there's some leadership, I'd say, that's okay. inherent. Yeah, I didn't I, know that. <laughs> I think maybe part of that stereotype might just be, and I hear it all the time from like hockey goalies or soccer goalies, that like it's a position that is very, very mental. Like I'm sure Adam Benatari last year in camp was – 90 some percent in practice and then would just melt out on the field I, I think it's like so much like in your head being a kicker obviously there's the huge skill aspect to it too but it's like just leave them alone let them focus what's not you know rah rah or anything too much with them yeah no you're, you're definitely right especially like in an in-game moment like I try to remove myself from like all of that emotion of the game and the swings of you know we're, we're down this is the game we drive and just try to you know, that's why kickers are sometimes viewed as like, oh, like they're not part of the team because they're like on this furthest part of the bench out in the, you know, no man's land. And it's really just to help not get too drawn into like the like raw, raw or any of that. Just do like, you know, you're kind of doing your job on the side. You, your job doesn't change with the emotions of the game. It's like mm-hmm. go out there, you do the same kick. It's like a golf swing and, you know, you make it. It's not yeah. really like driven by, well, I'm, I'm going to get more effort or like, we're going to hit them even harder. It's not really. right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, last question. Thank you so much for coming out again. I really appreciate it. Who was your favorite Browns player that you were in the locker room with when you were on the team? That was the Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb draft. We had Jarvis in the, lo- the, the locker room. Who was, maybe it's an unsung hero, but who was either like the funniest guy or the guy you liked just being around the most in the Browns locker room? Sure. Um, I mean, I was only at the Browns for a relatively short stint, like, you know, three months or so. Uh, one month of that was kind of in between, like June and July start of camp. So it wasn't there terribly long. And it was, in training camp, it's a pretty stressful time. You're not really hanging out with, like, outside of practice and meetings and all of that. Um, so, you know, the, one of the guys I spent the most time with was Britton Colquitt, who is just absolutely, like, hilarious. Like, he's... <laughs> Awesome personality. Like, he was a really good leader. Um, being, I don't even know how long he was in the NFL at that point, but close to a decade, if not a little over a decade. So he knew his way around the block. And 
he was a great leader and good guy. Yeah, yeah. he seems hilarious too. He was a fan favorite. Like came into uh, I forgot what event he came into before the season with like a mustache and everything last year. And then ultimately he gets replaced by Irish Hammer or the Scottish Hammer, who's even more of a character. So right, kind of got kind of got a the personality guy maybe rather than the crafty vet. But Ross, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank Success you, Ross. Field off the football field too. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too. And that was our interview with Ross Martin, a former NFL Cleveland Browns kicker. And we are going to talk about the Browns opponents 2020 coming up. Yeah, we have we have the opponents. We've had them for a while now. Um, they get announced way ahead of advance. And we have the actual schedule uh, being released next week. So we won't talk about it too much. But not that this matters at all, kind of like draft rankings. You know, we, we probably thought Justin Gilbert was a great draft pick when we got him. We have the fourth easiest strength of schedule ahead of us. Doesn't mean much, but we're playing the AFC South and the NFC East. NFC East, by far, like the worst division in football last year. Easily. Fingers crossed, we have a sort of easy road ahead of us. Yeah, and I'm excited for that because we had the, what, t- going into the season, we had the toughest? If I it was one of the toughest as well. The second half was definitely the toughest, though. The, uh, the last eight yeah. games were definitely the toughest in the NFL. So this is great just hearing this, at least the fourth easiest. I would, I would love to have us, like, have our divisional games peppered throughout the season. I really hate when it's, like, all at the front and all at the end, like last year. Um, I, it was just kind of like a gauntlet at the end of the season. Granted, I mean, we lost to the Bengals, so I guess we can't even make excuses. Yeah. Uh, the teams we're playing at home next year, so the teams that I'll probably be watching live uh, are the Colts. That's going to be a great game. That, that honestly probably is going to be a primetime game. I think those are two, like, young, very interesting teams. We got the Eagles, Raiders, Redskins, Texans. I just want to be Bill O'Brien. Bengals, Ravens, Steelers are divisional teams. And then away, we have the Cowboys, Giants, Jags, and Jets, Titans. Damn it, I hope we don't get blown out by them again. Bengals, Steelers, and Ravens. Um, little, little side note, I will say I'm very happy that we are playing the Raiders at home because that just says in 2021, the way the schedule is falling, we will be going to Los, uh, Las Vegas in 2021. I know that for a fact. I looked that up. That would be unbelievable. So we will be able to go, and thank God it's not this year because who knows what the hell's about to happen this year. But next year, we are able to go, and that trip is going to be ridiculous. I mean, that's not even fair for Brent. They shouldn't let Browns fans in Las Vegas for too long of a period of time. That city is going to make so much money off us. Exactly. It's going to be ridiculous. But, I mean, you, you hear all those names, and you're like, that's a lot of wins. Granted – at the same time, again, like last year, I heard 49ers are third game of the season. I'm like, that's going to be an ass whooping. We are going to clean their clocks. And what do you know? What was it, like 31-3? One of our most embarrassing games. We realized the 49ers were going to the Super Bowl that game. Right. Um, but, yeah, I'm still rooting for Pittsburgh right off the bat. I want that as a home yeah. opener. I want Pittsburgh first game in Cleveland so bad. Yep. That would be, that would be incredible. Prime time. I wonder how many primetime games we're going to end up getting again because we're going to be the same thing. I mean, we won the offseason on paper. We're going to be a very intriguing team. I'm imagining out of the six max, we get scheduled probably for four or five of them with the opportunity to flex one late in the season. Yeah, so, definitely. That'll be interesting. It's, it's so much better than like in 2017 or 2018, just seeing like one o'clock CBS Sunday, one o'clock CBS Sunday, just every single game down the schedule. It's so nice being able to see like 4.15 sometimes, eight o'clock, <laughs> Thursday night games. It's awesome. Right. They'll be wearing those color rush jerseys without the stripes this time. 
Yeah, we're, we're not ju- we're not just waking up on Sundays at ten o'clock and drinking. Exactly. <laughs> we can do it on Thursdays now. Exactly. So that's the schedule. We'll talk to it next week, and that's the pod. First interview yep. books. Good stuff with Ross. Yep, that's a wrap. First interview. Glad to have you guys. Go Browns.